0: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. On Sunday evening, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosilla were live on Twitter both before and after the Packers-Chiefs matchup to give you their takeaways at the halfway point of the season, as well as their playoff predictions and instant reactions from the game. You can find the pre- and post-game shows on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Ringer. Yo, 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 Springer FC, this is Donnie Kwok speaking. I'm here with Micah Peters and Connor Nevins. What's up, Donnie? What's up, boys? Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about the Granite Xhaka controversy, the Premier League weekend, America's new hero, Sergio Dest, and a little preview of MLS Cup. But first, we have to have our instant reaction to the wild and woolly Arsenal-Liverpool round of 16 Carabao Cup match we just watched. Ended 5-5, went to pens. Everybody made them except Ceballos. Therefore, Liverpool advances to the quarterfinals. Connor, I know you're an Arsenal supporter. What did you make of the match? Did it build your confidence, destroy it? Does it change how you feel about Emery? Anything?
1: Uh, No. Uh, It was was a fun game. I mean, it got out of control pretty quickly. Um, It was kind of every... Every wonderful and every insane instinct you've seen from this Arsenal team, and conversely the, the Liverpool team as well. Um, but I, I shades, I, shades I, of the Reading seven
0: five, yeah, also a League Cup match.
1: Very, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of became clear it was uh, like it was kind of like a pickup basketball game where it was just kind of just we're going to throw it each end of the court and just kind of you know just kind of see who can who can make the first stop.
2: Well, I mean, the game plan collapsed in on itself within the first ten minutes, and the game was wide open after that. It was like the defensive positioning and spatial awareness sliders were all the way to zero, um, <laughs> at least for like t- the first 20 minutes after the restart. It was one of those games that had, it was a League Cup game where they're full of youngsters trying to make their name and like older, more experienced players that don't get much run on the first team in the league kind of shaking off the cobwebs. So it had this air of like literally anything could happen at any time. Like, so... Yeah, t- when it was already four four, like it's sixty-nine minutes left. It was just like there's no way that this game doesn't it it could have finished seven seven or it could have finished four four. Like there was that was the the energy around it.
1: I think it's a good point to make about some of the the mix between young guys because there weren't enough young youngsters out there to make the game completely pointless, but there were enough that you were kind of excited to say like, oh, who is that?
2: Everybody was scoring bangers. Like it was What, what
1: was what was your favorite goal?
2: Uh, my favorite goal is still the, the Joe Willick finish. Just like, first of all, emblematic of the game because the, he picked the ball up at half and the entire field just opened up to him and nobody stepped to him until he was maybe 35 yards out and then curled it into the top left corner. And it was absolutely gorgeous. The back. Can, angle. I, can I can I
0: interject really quickly and say that our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon did text me that Allison would have stopped that shot, which is poppycock. But just wanted to mention that. Which is,
2: you know, if if it helps you sleep tonight, that's that's great. You know, <laughs> but I think that we should probably just appreciate the thing for what it was. Um, I want to hug it with both arms and both legs. Actually, <laughs> you know, it's a it's definitely a close. It's close between that goal and the, and the Ox full volley. That was my yep. vote. Yeah.
0: Let me run down the goals really quick. In the 6-minute, uh, Mustafi own goal. Then Torreira, 19. Martinelli at 26 and 36. A James Milner penalty at 43. The aforementioned Ox goal, 58th. Origi, ties score 4-4 in 62nd minute. The Joe Willett goal that you mentioned in the 70th minute. That 5-4 lead held until the very death uh, into stoppage time when Origi ha- had a nice volley in the box to tie it up. And, of course, again, they won on penalties. Micah, you mentioned the mix of the old and the new. One of the older players in the Arsenal squad is, of course, the much-talked-about Mesut Ozil. Uh, finally back in the lineup for the first time, I think, since
2: September. I love, I love the passive construction of that sentence, the much-talked-about Ozil. The Mike, much-talked-about who, Mesut who Ozil. You, whom you bring up most. Uh, Famous,
0: well, I haven't been bringing him up a lot because he hasn't, you know, there's nothing been going on with him. He was... Kind of been rumored to have been frozen out, whether by the manager or by upper management. He made it into the starting eleven today. He started kind of in the hole, basically his preferred role. Uh, Connor, what did you make
1: of his performance? I, I, I enjoyed. We're kind of at the point where you could have understood. It's possible to understand, to not to use the passive construction. <laughs> uh, it's possible to understand why Anne-Marie made the decision that he did. But with every performance, it kind of became slightly more baffling um he he didn't you know he played he played as you expect him to play you know he he kind of he had a, a significant hand in the fur in the terrera goal um he had a nice little kind of back i don't know if it was a back heel on the touch line for <laughs> you know that was beautiful uh, yeah i mean that but that was one where you watch that and you just kind of think to yourself oh i really enjoy watching him do those things on a, on, a, on a field and he fills a position of need there that you you it wasn't It wasn't kind of an outstanding performance by any stretch, but it's enough to make you wonder what what's going on and how long is this going to continue? yeah, an assist and two hockey assists uh
0: Micah, do you think how much of it do you think is a false positive given the squad that Liverpool put out there? They didn't bring even any of their big three on the bench. They started as a third string keeper,
2: I mean, really. What I think is not the interesting thing here, I would like to know exactly how you feel about Ozil pressuring in the final third and picking the ball up for that third goal or for the backheel that he used to set up the fourth or, you know, like all these other things. Do you think that—I think a better way to put this is, do you think that Mesut Ozil has become emblematic of— I guess, or has become sort of like a cause celebre for fans because for fans that aren't really too taken with wherever the fuck Unai Emery is taking this team, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of like the backup quarterback thing where since he's not playing, he's become sort of this totem of anti-Emery sentiment when last year and the year before that, he was the object of scorn. So his inactivity has ironically I guess put him in that position um you know today I saw a lot of people remarking when the lineup sheets were announced that this is the squad they prefer or at least you know Ozil and Torreira together uh, holding in the back four uh of course Bellerin started and captained Uh, we'll get into the captain stuff in a minute you know the question is always and it for Arsenal this season has been, you know, we've seen really strong and creative and entertaining offensive performances in the cup, in the Europa League. Why can't we do that in the Premier League? And again, that's kind of why I asked the question about the opposition, given that Liverpool we're not, we're starting their B or even C team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even as someone that has been skeptical of Ozil and his role in the team, it's you know, you'd have to be, I'd have to be extremely churlish to not recognize his contribution in in, in the first time, or basically for however long he was on the pitch, which I think was 65 minutes. I saw a lot of people moaning when he was subbed off for Guendouzi in the 65th minute. To me, thinking hopefully, I thought that maybe 65 minutes was the amount of time he was told before the match he was going to get and he will feature on Saturday against Wolves. I do think that, you know, I you know, maybe taking a charitable view of this and hoping that at Emery is not being unreasonable and that, you know, Emery and Ozil can get along, that this performance will earn Ozil at least back to the bench uh, for, for the league. Uh, Connor, what do you think?
1: It, it, it has to. I mean, I think that's the, the point I was trying to make earlier. If it, if it doesn't, then, then there has to be some kind of an explanation beyond illness, match fitness, you know. Um, it, it just Because he makes, he makes the team better when he's playing well. I mean, it's just undeniable, um, yeah. and and especially with, you know, I mean, Emory. If, if the intention was to give guys some minutes and some spots, whether it's Willick, whether it's um, you know, whether it's uh, Gwendouzi, whether it's um, you know, um, Sabalas, sorry, then you've seen enough of what those guys can do in those positions. Where it's you know, you have to find a place for them, and and I I I've always been a big Ozil defender. I think you put it put it well with the hockey assist. I mean, he's he creates opportunities, and and there's not enough of that invention uh, in that midfield right now to justify leaving him out.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of those hockey assists, though, was basically a square ball in the box with nobody near him that probably but even, any Premier League footballer could deliver. But even okay. in the build-up okay. to that, okay. though, okay. he okay. does... Uh, I, yeah.
2: I'm saying, all right, all right, no, 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 no. I've, I've listened to this enough, okay? The, the positioning is a skill. We've talked yeah, this, about he, this. He found the
0: space. He found the space. Yeah. I mean, credit, credit to him. Let me. Speaking of hockey, I was bringing this up in Slack, and I want to bring it to you guys. Like uh, I mentioned the first goal was a Mustafi own goal off the foot of the Ox, actually. It was a cross that Mustafi bundled in. Shouldn't own goals be scored like they are in, in hockey or in the NHL, credited to the last player on the scoring team who touches the ball? Yeah. Why aren't they? <sighs> um, and then you always have those own goal controversies where, you know, it's like deflected on the way in. Oh yeah, does it? Does it? Would it have gone in? Yeah, does it change the trajectory
2: trajectory of the ball? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like I think celebrating deflected goals is is fine. Um, You know, I I for one would be totally fine with scoring uh, those kinds of. But the thing is that like you also run into the same problem of like the letter of the law because, like, what separates uh, an own goal like. Um man, I can't even think of an example at the moment, but you know what I'm talking about if it just if there's a curling shot from outside the box that skips off of a defender's leg and goes a little bit further towards the towards the far post, like yeah. and that counts as an own goal versus the own goal that Mustafi scored today. Like
0: yeah, actually I'm going back on what I thought. It shouldn't be scored like that because I think when you look at the box score after the person who deflected the goal and should have the ignominy of, of having scored. <laughs> they should on his have own the net. shame of, 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 of having. <laughs> because scored ten years later, goal. when you look at it, you're going to be like, "Oh, Ox scored two goals, amazing!" And you wouldn't realize that it was actually Mustafi's foot. Uh, Connor, last question for you as an Arsenal fan uh, on this match. I saw again people chattering about this that they would prefer this kind of willy nilly version of Arsenal, high scoring, crappy defense, but kind of free flowing, effective press, a lot of chances. Versus the turgid, pragmatic style that uh, Arsenal fans have become used to in the league, uh, is it an either-or for you, or is or are you just hoping the best of
1: both worlds can sort of materialize during this season? I mean, they've, it's been pretty willy-nilly in in, in certain <laughs> yeah. Premier League games too. Um, I, I what 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 you're hoping for, and and what I think the most baseline expectation of Emery this season, whether it's the entire season or otherwise. Is to figure out what your starting eleven is. Yes, and I think that's when you watch a game like this, I and mean, we will get into the captaincy stuff later. But you know, you watch when you're able to actually see Bellarine and first and spell uh, Tierney play at either fullback. Um, you know, you, you kind of realize that they've been playing most of the season without their two first choice fullbacks. Uh, so you want to see those two guys playing in there. You, you know, you know that the back, the two center backs are not kind of the center backs of the future we're still no closer to figuring out what the, what the midfield is going to be. And I think that comes back to the Ozil question. So I guess it's a roundabout way of answering your question where it's like, I, I, don't, I don't think I care either way, the, the, the variance of results or the variance of styles. You just do, you, you want to be able to see kind of what the vision is for each player and what position and see that come into, come into shape a little bit more than it has.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. We're talking about A team, B team, C team, whatever. Arsenal doesn't even really have an A team. It's like two B plus teams. Um, and until that's sorted out, uh, it's going to continue to be kind of inconsistent. All right, let's go back to the uh, weekend and the Granite Xhaka controversy that spilled over throughout this week. Uh, Micah, do you want to paint the scene or should I? Um,
2: hmm. Well, Granite Xhaka... Uh, while Arsenal we, captain the Arsenal captain While leaving the, First of all should we, should we should we explain exactly How miffed Arsenal fans have been About the fact that Granit Xhaka was named captain Alright here
0: I'll just quickly You should this do scene.
2: it You should do it Okay
0: so uh, Over the weekend At the Emirates uh, Arsenal jumped to a 2-0 First half lead Against Crystal Palace And eventually uh, Crystal Palace equalized In the second half It was 2-2 In the 61st minute Granite Xhaka's number came up on the sub board. He was being replaced uh, by Saka, the young winger. When the number came up, a bunch of ironic cheers. I wasn't at the ground, but a lot of ironic cheers were heard on, even on television. And he kind of, you know, he threw his car- captain's armband on the ground in the direction of Obama Yang and then slowly trudged it off the pitch. And the cascading boos then grew louder and louder. And Granit Xhaka kind of did the, you know, make more noise motion, kind of what you see wrestlers do. As he approached the touchline, he cupped his ear in in the way Hulk Hogan would. Uh, He kind of angrily slapped Emery's hand, and then he removed his shirt and just walked down the tunnel. Um, And after that, there was just, you know, it became a big thing. As soon as it was happening, as I was watching it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I felt kind of shocked, and I knew at that moment that that was going to be uh, a very l- huge talking point. So, uh, and Micah, go ahead. What were we going to say?
2: Well, I was going to say that the booze seemed, in my estimation, as much for every as they were for Xhaka himself. Because, I mean, like, okay, if you just is just for both of you, since you're Arsenal fans, there are good things that, granted, Xhaka does that he's capable of. I mean, like, he's. I don't a know, viable really. disruptor. He's good at progressing the ball off the pitch. He's probably not so great at you know not giving up a really horrific violent fouls and you know uh, I think I think he's a like net negative losing, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But but he gives a shit. He's not the only per. He's not the person putting himself in the team sheet though. He's not the person that made himself captain. Like and honestly. That's what a captain is supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, react to fans booing players. um, If, you know, even if those players are you. um,
0: Couldn't you make that same defense of Unai Emery, though? He didn't
1: put himself as Arsenal manager.
2: Well, yeah, sure. But, you know, his job is to manage the team.
1: No, but I I I think Jaco wants to be captain. Yeah. I I think some of that was some of the frustration here was that he wasn't, you know, he felt like he had been assuming that role. And becoming the brunt of a lot of the uh, angst and and frustration that was being leveled towards the team. but he was the one that was actually wearing the armband and hadn't been named uh, hadn't been named the the permanent captain, even though he felt you know he had the support of the locker room. So it's uh, I, I think in some ways, a lot of this has kind of solved itself because Bellerin's back. and I think clearly Bellarine is Hector Bellarine is the captain, probably the choice of emery and the the choice of the team and and fits that role for this team best of anyone Um, and in fact that same evening tweeted
0: his support basically of Xhaka and also urged the Arsenal fandom to kind of unite around this or you know to to not be divided yeah it was a captain-like thing and I think
1: the response I think the response has been in some ways kind of has been encouraging too I mean Amy Lawrence wrote in The Athletic that three senior players went over to Xhaka's house that night and just to check to see if he was okay and um, Lucas Torreira, I think, was clearly very upset by the whole, by the, the situation on the bench, and there was, it, it was a, it was a, it, you know, you don't want to look too too much into it because you're not inside the heads of the players or you're not inside the locker room, but it's had a galvanizing effect, um, in some way, and you know, I think with Shaka, I mean, it's it's as far as the response itself, I mean, it, it kind of makes no sense to apportion blame for the actual booze, and because you're you're basically pointing a finger at some amorphous segment of. Of the the Arsenal fandom, and I think there's probably still more people that would not have done that, and were probably, you know, made uncomfortable or appalled by that behavior. Yeah, so, I mean, to Micah's, Micah's point, if if
0: on the big screen they put Emery's face up there, I'm sure like like Trump at Nationals Park, he would have been booed.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of had this thought too as it, as I watched it live. It's you know applauding a player off the field for the home support. I mean, we all kind of get it, right? It's it's just. Kind of a standard response for a soccer fan if you're at a game supporting your team you do it if the performance isn't great out of some kind of begrudging um, you know sense of sense of duty or respect you do it if you're you know out of uh if it's a great performance and you're showing your enthusiasm and your appreciation i think the response you know if you actually wanted to make a statement that you were displeased with the performance and you're displeased with the way that Jocka in particular has been performing then you i mean silence you know, the sil- greeting him with silence as he walks off the off the field is probably the best. You know, it, <laughs> like he died. <laughs> yeah, like like we're not even acknowledging the contribution that you made today because we're not. You know, like that. I, so I think like the idea that there were clearly a segment of the fans who wanted this response, one of the kind of the ensuing. I mean, Chuck obviously gave him a gift, and I, I do think. I mean, this is a roundabout way of saying that I think that this is kind of an emblematic of the Arsenal support, going back to the Wenger out, Wenger out. Um, you know, kind of uh, push because. There is a vociferous segment of the fans who, when they are want to express their displeasure, they do so really ardently and really stridently and really loudly, and they get a lot of attention. And a lot of times, the club will, you know, there'll be a response, and it becomes, you know, kind of the entire story about the club. And I think that's something that's just, frankly, just a a, f- a factor of just total mismanagement of the club for a really long time. And that's not Jaka's fault. It's not even even Hiemere's fault. It's just something that can only really be improved by a more sustained effort to, to kind of run the club in a more efficient, organized way. Yeah. The
0: last publicly visible act that we've seen from Xhaka is crumpling up his shirt and walking down the tunnel. Since then, uh, everyone picked up on the fact that he switched his Instagram avatar from himself in an Arsenal shirt to him in a Swiss national team shirt. Michael, what do you think? What's the way back for him? I mean, he hasn't had a public statement. There have been a lot of rumors and reports about Arsenal I mean, offering him I counseling, how devastated he is.
2: Just, you know, like follow the Dayan Lovren route and just like stay low and build, King. <laughs> I <don't> not <know> what <laughs> else to tell you. <laughs> uh, maybe hope that you get a January transfer. I have no idea. Um, this is like I'm. Also referencing that time that Dayon Levering gave up like two goals on the first two minutes of a Liverpool game and then was subbed off like twenty minutes in and then changed his AVI on Instagram to his uh Serbian national team photo. Mm. Um, like it's yeah I, I don't know. I, I I have no idea what the best path for it is, but I'm probably gonna enjoy watching, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of social media, you know, Connor, you mentioned that Amy Lawrence had reported that
0: a few Arsenal senior players had visited Xhaka at his house. Also, reported or rumored, I don't know, you can never tell with social media that uh, La Gazette had liked a troops of Arsenal fan TV Instagram caption and photo in which he was basically slating Xhaka and Emery. So, uh, who knows if there's some discord there, turmoil. You know, this Arsenal and crisis stuff is kind of overblown, it seems, when you look at the table and, and you look at the general state of the team. But, of course, uh, Jose Mourinho uh, is now kind of in the mix or reported to be or wants to have the job. He was at the Emirates uh, recently and photographed there. Do you think there's any smoke to that fire or fire to that
1: smoke? <laughs> What's... I mean, clearly it's being put out there and you can probably deduce that it's in the interest of Mourinho and his camp to, you know, state his uh, interest in that job. I mean, he, he wants to get back into coaching and he wants a big job um there are few big jobs available <laughs> just you know by by the numbers um i think probably madrid would be his his choice and i think there's been some you know some speculation that that is a possibility even though that would seem like a just like a very uh a strange a strange return for him to uh, to that team um it I, I i mean as an arsenal fan no that's that's kind of my response to it it's just it's not I, 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 you know what you're signing up for um, when you bring him in, and I I don't know that the team, the actual squad itself, is is up to the to the capacity at this at this point. There's no quick fixes with this team, Um, so I don't think you. I think you bring in Mourinho if you're looking for a quick fix.
0: Uh, Micah, as some as someone who supports a team that Mourinho was just fired from,
2: I mean, you know, good luck with that <laughs> is is all that I really have to say to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I was uh, floating this theory out to you guys yesterday that uh I feel like Unai Emery for all his faults, you know, I don't think he's the worst manager in the Premier League which I've read or, you know, that he has no ability uh managerial ability. I do think though that because of his lack of fluency in English and sort of the way he speaks, very kind of verbose uh, he he speaks kind of in a way where you feel like he's typed it in Spanish and put it in Google Translate and is just reading what the what what it spits out. So it's this kind of like indirect, kind of um, frustrating way to to. to uh, it's frustrating to try to understand what he's trying to articulate. Um, I think that that has hurt him, and, and people now are just sick of hearing him speak. D- does that ring true at all for you, Connor? I mean, at risk of sounding xenophobic or something, it's not about him being not English or, or a native English speaker. It's just sort of something about the way he carries himself that is just kind of—it's hard, it's hard to, put a, to put a finger on it, maybe, but—
1: I mean, if you take aside the language barrier, it's a certain kind of— uh,
0: Charisma, maybe? Chariz- I mean, charisma that's what I think about affinity. when I think about Jose is he's, like, hyper-articulate and very charming.
1: With, with, and,
2: and, and, yeah, and I, but I think that, that can be true across— would accuse Jose Mourinho of being charming. Interesting,
1: but I think that can be true across all sports. I mean, but that's also how much of how Kingsbury much of how much of that, that is, a, talks about? Is, a, is a media invention too, where media members like coaches who I mean not only give good quotes but kind of call them by their names and you know treat them well. I mean, you see that across any sport, um, and that you know. So I, I, I don't think I, I think you made the point kind of better in your previous statement where it's. Given the the talent and the that the team has and what they've done, I mean they're kind of where they are right now is actually a pretty decent achievement. Um, right. I think long term, if you're actually trying to project out into the future, again it comes back to the same things. Where it's what is what is actual what is the actual strategy with a player like Ozil? What what is the starting lineup like? What is the actual vision for the team? But the results themselves, I mean, just the you know it's kind of the table doesn't lie. Um, so I don't I don't I don't buy as much into in that because you know at the end of the day it's that part of it's not really his job. True.
0: Well said. Uh, let's quickly, the other about Cup results. We were talking, I think, uh, as the final whistle blew at Stamford Bridge and Manchester United beat Chelsea 2-1 to one, two Ra- Marcus Rashford goals. Uh, we can quickly talk about United here, Micah. It seems like things have turned around relatively since we've last spoken
2: uh, with the last few weeks
0: of results. Three
2: away wins in a row. Who who to thunk it? Um yeah. I think that this was, you know, I we brought up Jose earlier, but um, just as it seemed he was edging close to another major coaching job uh off of Manchester United revisionism, we started playing well again. <laughs> so um it's good to see, I guess. Uh so, you feel better? I feel better. I feel better. I, I, I feel like we can get something out of going to Bournemouth this this weekend, um, if, if that's what you're yeah. asking, which is. And do, and doing it all still without Pogba, who hasn't played now for a while. And won't be playing until December, according to reports. Yeah. I feel like he's got that Kawhi injury. Um, he... So, the, <laughs> the Ole out
0: shouts have gotten progressively quieter than.
2: Yes, they have. The
0: heat is off a little bit. A little bit. Right. Okay. Well, elsewhere, Aston Villa beat Wolves, who Arsenal played Saturday in the Cup, two to one. Yeah. So let's look at this weekend, uh, Micah. You mentioned Bournemouth and United, Arsenal, Wolves uh, for the top two. Liverpool are playing at Aston Villa and City, Southampton. Any stop me anytime, guys. <laughs> Watford, Chelsea. Sunday we have Everton and Spurs. Um What's,
2: does anything look particularly tasty to anybody else other than the, nah, it's, the I like it's the, kind the Crystal, of a lame weekend. The, the Crystal Palace Leicester City game should be interesting. But, you know, maybe not. <laughs> 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 um yeah, I I would say that this looks like a fairly down weekend for games. I don't I don't I'm not I'm not particularly excited about any of these.
0: Yeah, 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 me neither. And you know what that means? It means there's going to be some crazy results. Exactly,
1: <laughs> but, but Connor. What do you think? Well, I mean, Everton, Tottenham are just two teams who are not playing well. I think anytime you get two teams whose expectations are not being met and who who aren't playing well, it's always kind of curious to see them go against each other and to see what kind of what kind of response you get. Um, but but yeah, no, it's a it's a letter slate. Yeah, a lot of people th- were
0: saying that, are speculating that Marco Silva saved his job yesterday uh, in. Everton's 2-0, I believe, cup win over Watford. So. Any
1: anytime you're saving your job in kind of midweek <laughs> cup games, though, it's, it's bleak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Shakur Saman on to talk about America's New Hero. Today's Ringer FC is brought to you by the TVG Podcast. Listen and subscribe now to hear TVG analysts uncover views, debate, and deliver crucial insight into the world of horse racing. Hear from TVG favorites Mike Joyce, Ken Rudolph, and many special guests. This week, TVG has a special Breeders' Cup edition featuring a celebrity guest appearance. Figure out how to best place your wager for the big races this weekend. You might even get lucky. The TVG podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Don't forget to rate, listen, and subscribe, and join the conversation on social with the hashtag TVGPOD. And we're back welcoming in my
3: esteemed colleague, Shakra Saman. What's up, Shakra? What's up, man? Just soccer boys doing soccer things over here. What kit are you wearing today? I'm actually just wearing a normal sweater. It's, it's kind of cold in Los Angeles. I'm not sure to wear short sleeves. Oh, disappointing. I'm disappointing. soft, <laughs> man. I went soft.
0: It's, <laughs> it's
1: sweater season in, in Los Angeles, Donnie. Come on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Shakra,
0: what is it, 80 degrees? <laughs> oh, hey. Shakra's here because on Monday, big, big news the USMNT, and unusually good news, actually, because there's been some bad news of late. Shocker, talk to us about Serginho Dest. Young Sergio Dest. Young Serginho Dest, who on Monday uh, announced in an interview that he will be playing for the USMNT senior team.
3: Yeah, uh, kind of a surprising move. Uh, Dest was born in the Netherlands and raised there, and technically a US citizen hadn't been to the United States until 2014 when he came for a visit, uh, but had played for the U.S. in the junior levels and a couple times in friendlies for the men's national team. But had a choice between the Netherlands and the U.S. Uh, he's a 18-year-old, turns 19 on Sunday, fullback for Ajax, um, has started in three Champions Leagues games for them this year, and nine out of their 11, or played in nine out of their 11 um, Dutch league games, starting seven of them, uh, with a couple assists. Basically, the, the headline here is the US men's National Team has a very talented young fullback, which is not something that we're used to. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, no shots at DeAndre Yedlin. But, you know, looking at Dest, you know, like his highlight reels and stuff, he very much seems like the modern fullback. I mean, is there Connor or you can chime in? Like, what
3: excites you about his game or his style, or, and what can fans expect? He's technically sound. He's quick. He should be a plug-and-play immediate starter. I mean, there's there's a, a world in which you know he and Reggie Cannon
1: are the fullbacks for the next decade. Yeah, it's a good point, and kind of to go back against the idea that there aren't talented young fullbacks in the national team setup. Reggie Cannon's a good. Uh, he's a good. He's a good shout out right there too. It's uh, you know, it's 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 the quality, and I think it's you know, anytime you can get a player who's you know, featuring for a Champions League game, attacking technically sound, technically gifted. But full, that, that kind of a fullback, is, it's a premium position. You know, again, I mean, everyone in the world is looking for those kinds of players. They're converting those players to those positions. They're trying to develop those kinds of players. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult position to fill for a team like the U.S. men's national team. So, you know, to have a player like that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a luxury.
3: And I think it's important, especially, I mean, we talked starting really with the World Cup about the role that fullbacks play not just in defense but in setting up the offense as teams transition to this more traditional kind of play. Uh, and that being true in the Premier League the last couple of years as well, having an 18-year-old, almost 19-year-old fullback with real star potential is huge for a team that sort of had a lost generation from guys born from 90 to 94 Um I mean, what, who have been the, the fullback candidates? There's Fabian Johnson, who was maybe the best player on the team for a couple of years, but is a natural midfielder. Uh, like Timmy Chandler, um, the Jeff Cameron playing out of position, Tim Ream. Uh, Demarcus Beasley. Yeah, DMB converted. So the fact that you can have a player like that is big. And actually almost is, is monumental in the fact that it stops this recent trend of really highly skilled dual national players Going elsewhere, you know, Jonathan Gonzalez and Efrain Alvarez, uh, Andrew Helms wrote a feature on them for us on the site recently about how they chose Mexico over the U.S. Before then, there was Diego Fagundes, who chose Uruguay. Landing a guy like this, who very plausibly would have been in contention for a spot for the Dutch at the World Cup in the next couple cycles, is a really big win.
1: And that's and a good—I'm glad you mentioned Andrew Helms' fantastic piece, which was on the ringer last year, because it's—the reason those guys flipped, I mean, that's a result of a pretty coordinated and sustained recruiting effort by— the Mexican Federation, to kind of identify those players and convince them to play at younger ages. And it does, it does sound like, I mean, we'll probably hear more of the story, but that, that Serginio Dest, you know, they, they the U.S. kind of, you know, they, they recruited him. Yeah, you know, They put the yeah. full swing. They made him feel important. They made him feel like he was going to be a, a real significant piece in their long-term plans. And, you know, he seems to, you know, it's kind of reflected in the way that he announced his decision. And, you know, there's a little bit of, that's, that's a win too. I mean, it's, you know, accumulating talent. Um, and identifying talent is, in some ways, the, the most important thing.
3: And it might have helped in the same way that, you know, Mexico had made a concerted effort. Uh, one of the two uh, members of the U.S. Federation who made the trip to really recruit, Dest Stewart, who I believe is the technical director, is also a dual national uh, Dutchman, and American. And so maybe mm. that connection played into it. Obviously, I'm just speculating. But, I mean, I, I think looking forward, you've got a potential like 2022 lineup that's something like Stefan in the back, either Cannon or Yedlin on one fullback, Brooks and Miazga in the middle of defense, Dest on the other side, and then a midfield of like Pomichol, uh, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney um, in the central midfield, Christian Pulisic and Timmy Weah in front of them and Josh Sargent up top. And, and, you know, young guys all at that age can flame out or maybe not pan out, but that's the most excited I've been about a potential U.S. lineup in a long time. And Unlike other, you know, young players with potential, if we're talking like Gideon Zelalem, Julian Green, whoever, all of these guys are getting minutes at good European clubs for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooks being the elder statesman there, but, I mean, Adams, McKenney, Pulisic, uh, they're getting reps at these top clubs, even Sargent. Basically, I'm, I'm just excited that we're not talking about Will Trapp and Perry Kitchen. Well,
0: let me ask you a question, Chakra, for this proposed lineup. Who's managing that team?
3: Oh, don't make me talk about Jose Mourinho on air. I really, I really want. <laughs> wow,
0: the second Jose reference.
3: I I really want people to respect my opinions. <laughs> don't don't make me talk about my long lost father.
0: <laughs> but seriously though, I mean, do you think Burhalter, Greg Burhalter, is the man to to lead? Uh, you know this young upstart team.
3: Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I think recent results have shown that. Well, well, he's ambitious. He doesn't really have an idea of how to adapt his system for the players he has. Um, Maybe the system he wants is right, but we just saw, for example, to go back to another Chelsea reference because I'm a parody of myself. uh, Sorry, just tried the same thing in London last year. You have to adapt to who you've got. And
1: well, and maybe to your point, you know, if his lineup, if his starting eleven is going to pick itself for him, then. And maybe all that will be required of him is to kind of just realize that he's got to, you know, he's got to he's got to play to the strengths of his players. Certainly, and and you've got other players who could be on the
3: bench on this team who are also seeming like they're very talented in Europe. Uh, there's Emerson Hinman, you know, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, whoever else. Some will pan out, some won't. But there's a lot of potential in this pool. Mm. Mm. I'm I'm getting excited. Good. Let me ask you guys both. I think I know the answer
0: for Chakra, but do you guys? By FIFA rules, what countries could you represent, and which would you represent if having if if you had to make the choice?
3: I mean, I've I could theoretically represent Syria. Um, I, I can't speak to how good their center backs are. I played center back when I was a kid. I was awful. Um, <laughs> I think there's a fighting chance that I could still be in like the top hundred members of their center
1: back <laughs> pool right now. Um, not that I would want to be, obviously. But uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I qualify for Ireland, uh, possibly on my mother's side. But uh, I don't think I'm in quite in that uh, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice position. We can't they're... put in a one time switch for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always fascinating to me when players have to make this decision. And Dest was very articulate in the way he described the difficult choice that he faced in his decision video. Um, I think he ultimately, my takeaway was ultimately that it was like his gut feeling that he went with i mean i'm sure he was recruited very very hard by the u.s soccer federation um you know he probably doesn't want to admit that although you said shocker that he could very well feature or start for the dutch team it seems like he'd be a more critical piece maybe for the u.s team or be in pen in the starting 11
1: yeah i i I wonder too and i shocker and i were actually talking about this yesterday and I, i you know, first of all, he can make whatever decision that he wants, and and you know he's he's clearly given it a lot of thought. I do wonder if on the Dutch side there, whereas on the U.S. side there was this real concerted effort to try to kind of woo him. On the Dutch side, there's just you you choose us, we don't choose you, kind of a thing. And I, I don't quite know if that's true. I mean, I, I do remember around the World Cup when Morocco, um, you know, was doing so well in qualifying and ended up qualifying for the for the for the World Cup. There was Hakim Zay- 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 uh who was plays for Ajax, one of Ajax's best players, who's still there. Um, who could have qualified, uh, you know, would have played for the Dutch national team. But I think there was a sense that, you know, they were like, if you want to play, you know, you, play for us if if you want to, but we're not going to kind of beg. Um, so there might be a little bit of that too. But I think at the same time, you know, he's he's got, he's going to have more opportunities to, to play. I mean, in Holland, yes, he is kind of this bright young thing at 18, 19 years old. But, you know, Holland produces players like this every 12 to 18 months. So who's to say when the next... When the he, next he's one's a natural.
0: He's a natural right back, right? Yes. yes. He, but he can play left. He has been for for Ajax. He's been playing on the left.
1: I think so. Okay. But, um, so for
0: the Dutch, I think the left is still what Daily Blend, maybe, and on the right back is Dumfries, PSV. So I feel like he could start over them. But like you said, I mean, it's kind of like they do produce more talent uh, yeah, historically, and it gives so. it gives
1: options too. I mean, it's possible. You know, if you do have Reggie Cannon. If you do have DeAndre Edlin, is there a possibility where they could both feature on the same side? I mean, you can try it out. At least, if you yeah. have depth at that position too, I think another another kind of benefit, and Chalker kind of alluded to it a little bit, but now you kind of you don't have to put Tyler Adams at that position where I think he's kind of been shoehorned in. You can kind of let him play um, play in the in the center where he's where he's most effective. So it
3: it feels to make a, a college basketball reference, which Connor and I are both fans of. It feels like a four star power forward committing to Creighton, where he knows he'll play thirty five minutes and put up his numbers, <laughs> compared to maybe riding the bench for a couple of years and at the top of the ACC.
1: So he's yeah. Uh, yeah, he's Doug McDermott.
3: Absolutely. <gasps> Dougie McBuckets. <laughs>
0: I like the analogy. Uh, Shocker, since you're here, let's double-click on uh, Wonderboy, Pulisic, who uh, amazing hat trick over the weekend away at Burnley. 4-2 win for Chelsea. Uh, pretty much all these sort of alarming headlines coming out. Should he leave in January? Or is there a rift with Lampert? Like all of that quickly went away. Uh, how impressed were you by his performance and, and were you ever worried that it wasn't going to happen for him?
3: I was certainly worried. I mean, I had exchanged many a Slack message with my fellow Chelsea comrade, Miles Surrey, friend of the pod, um, effectively just going in on Lamps uh, for favoring Mason Mount over him. And Mason Mount's been great, but really pushing for this idea of like a youth revolution that we all wanted when Chelsea hired Lamps and had their transfer ban and whatever, Um uh, Christian Pulisic is supremely talented and the fact that he's succeeded when given the opportunity isn't a surprise. I'm just excited that he's finally getting that chance in, in London. The, I mean, he looked fantastic.
0: Yeah, he did. It was a perfect hat trick. Uh, left foot, right foot, head. Um, it's funny because now the qu- it's like people were worried about how Lampert was deploying or using him or not using him and, and the USMNT fans for the last cycle of internationals, we're complaining that Berhalter what you know subbed him out early. Uh, it feels like he's kind of <laughs> mismanaged it all around. Uh, if if you hear Pulisic fans tell it, I mean, Connor, what is <laughs> what do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think Lampard it, it's kind of got the the great double benefit for Chelsea if Pulisic gets to look like a star who took his opportunity and seized it, and Lampard gets to look like a genius. Um, <laughs> right, you know, he slow played it, he managed it perfectly. I think. I think Lampard was always, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Lampard was always pretty clear that the opportunities would come and that, you know, he would have to earn them. And I I, you didn't get the sense that he was, that Lampard was kind of, you're not my guy. I'm just going to kind of bury you on the bench. I have no, you know, I don't have to, you know, I think he was just looking for the opportunity. And he started with Pedro and Willian on those positions. I think it's clear that those guys are kind of past their their prime. So he'll rely on them in spots. They're not going to kind of go a full season. And you know, he he put them in, he put put Pulisic in, in the IX the game and set up the goal. And I think Lampard was right to say, okay, that's it. You earned your opportunity, here's the game, and you have to earn the next one and the next one. Uh which is, you know, when you when you're managing a team like that with a lot of young players, that's the kind of competitive atmosphere you want to foster. And um, you know, he'll 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 basically just play the hot hand. So
3: the kind of frustration among Chelsea fans, especially American Chelsea fans, was You know, the transfer fee was what? Like $50 million, 60 million euros, whatever it happened to be. Um, That, for a player that had proven his talent elsewhere, um, I think our our expectation was, when he came in, because we know he's this good, was he, he doesn't have to earn his stripes like that. Like, let him play, let him figure it out the first couple weeks of the season. You're a team that doesn't have number one or two aspirations with the roster you have. The worst you
1: can do is Christian Pulisic,
3: at at his worst, the best you can do is Christian Pulisic. At his best, let him figure it
1: out on the field rather than on the bench. Yeah. And, but I think I think and I think Lampard's response is that he's got about three or four players in that position that are that he's doing the same thing with him. And you think Callan hudson Madoy was getting those minutes, and I, you know, you kind of I mean they they paid a lot of money to bring in to bring in Pulisic, but they also they they. Tried to move mountains to keep Kellen Hudson Kellen do- uh, Hudson it, because do- there was a moment there where it felt like he was going to go to Bayern Munich and he wasn't getting the kind of minutes that he wanted. So, I, you know, these things always someone has to the minutes got to go to someone at the expense of the other. And I think it's just for sake, it was always a matter of is he going to is he going to take his chance when he got it and he did. And and I, I, I think I think I think that's you know Lampard that's what he he started in the in the League Cup game today. I mean, it'd be, if if you see him kind of return to the bench, I think that's when you kind of start to ask so ask some questions. But I have a feeling you'll see him in that starting eleven, moving forward.
0: Yeah, and despite the loss uh, of the aforementioned League Cup game today, shocker, you have to say, and we've talked about it in previous episodes, that overall, beyond just the American fans of Chelsea, that it is a happy mood for Chelsea fandom, right? With all the young players kind of thriving and Lampert playing sort of entertaining brand of football.
3: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we. I just mentioned that, you know, we bought Pulisic, but the other guys, Abraham, Hudson-Odoi, Mount... I mean, they're young guys. Pulisic is young, too. I, there, there's a, a youth movement, and for once, I'm not afraid that those guys are going to get benched because we just bought a €70 million Euro fullback from Atletico Madrid who's going to play three games and leave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so, Shakri, stick around here for this MLS Cup? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's quickly talk about it. Uh, last night... Um, well, maybe we should let L A F C Ultra Connor talk about what happened last night. Should
3: we play a? Can we play Taps as he's <laughs> as he's speaking? I,
0: I was not in
1: attendance. Uh, you were not in attendance. I was not in attendance. I was diligently attending. I was diligently attending to my uh, ringer editorial duties. Uh, World Series.
0: Well, L A F C lost at home three to one to Seattle Sounders. L A F C, of course, finished the regular season with the most ever points uh in MLS history, he won the supporters shield. Uh, but they were upset three to one. A lot of people who watch MLS much more closely than I do said it was a ginormous upset, uh a shocker, uh, so but, um, to speak. <laughs> uh but of course Seattle, you know, they've been in now three well, they've advancing to the uh MLS Cup final now. That's three of the last four, I believe. So y- you know, they're no they're not new to this. Uh, did you get to at least watch the highlights or see... Oh, I know. got to watch the game. I just couldn't I
1: couldn't go to the... Uh, oh, okay. So go, what go went wrong? Uh, you know, the, 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 the rule book or the, 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 the playbook for LAFC is always going to be they, you know, they commit a lot of... Play, you know, they're so attacking, so they commit a lot of guys forward. And, you know, it's... Seattle kind of came through and they had the very tactically, you know, they, they defended well. They kept guys behind the ball and their plan was to hit them on the counter. Um, you know, and I think it was also about winning the individual battles too. So the LAFC scored, they had a free kick early on. And I think it almost has in some ways, they score so many goals and they're so used to kind of using that early goal just to blow the game open that I think that there was a sense that they're playing at home, the enthusiasm, they're up one, nothing in the 18th minute that they, you know, th- their instinct is not to kind of preserve and sit back. I mean, their instinct is to kind of continue to put guys forward, um, and you know Seattle just kept absorbing the pressure and then they hit him for two um in the second half on the on the break and um and some of the issues were emblematic of flaws that have been been there for LAFC They're, the center backs are, are really aggressive and Eddie Segura got kind of sucked in a little too uh on on Ra- Raul Ruiz Diaz's first uh first goal and yeah, you know, they went down 2-1, and I think there was a sense, they were kind of a little shell-shocked. There was a sense of, what do we do now? We're not used to playing from a deficit. Um, and in the second half, they were just, you know, just by necessity bombing guys forward. And, you know, once Seattle got that third, you just kind of thought, you know, that, that was it. And I think more specifically, um, I think some, one factor that went against them in the game is that they are a very—they like to have the ball at their feet. They like to play, you know, run at guys. And I think when the game is, is played a little bit rough and the game is, you know, called pretty loose— that works against them, and that was the case here. I think the ref was letting the lot go, um, and you know, and 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 they just basically flooded the zone with with Vela, and they just crowded him, and they they bodied him up at every opportunity. If I ask you
0: about Vela and big games, are you going to storm away in a huff? No, no, no,
3: no, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, Connor, it's, so so violent, and
1: yeah, I mean, Brad, let me ask
0: you a question: As an LAFC Ultra, uh, I've read all these accounts of people throwing beers all over the place. Uh, obviously, the fans were disappointed. This is the second time we're talking about fan behavior, but yeah. is that something you've noticed? And you went to the El Tráfico, right? The, I the went the to El Tráfico. beers around his office on there, the regular.
1: There was, yeah. I'm actually the yeah the originator of that. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's uh, so yeah. The El, El Tráfico was was uh, last Thursday, and that was five three game. And that game, I mean, it kind of you know had hints of that Liverpool. Arsenal game that we discussed earlier, where it just the game just kind of got real drunk real quick, and you know it was like a, it was just like a pickup game where it was just waves of guys moving forward, and it was basically who's going to stop, you know who's going to who's going to stop scoring. Um, now it's it's uh, the beer throwing is is it was was prevalent in that game, but it was after LAFC mm-hmm. Um, You know, people would just basically kind of get so excited and they would just throw beers in the air and by the end of it you're you're walking you know you're, you're going to your car and you're just drenched in beer and you're just like this is just not not, not right.
3: um you're like I'm not at a college
1: tailgate. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh it's it's not it's not a great look. It's not frankly. Yeah, um, alright so note
0: to listeners if you attend an LAFC game wear not your best shirt.
1: Yeah, and the beers I are also ponchos. just really expensive too. <laughs> so it's just the idea of just throwing a 14 dollar beer in the air just seems like not a not a great strategy either but um, but no, and, and I, I will say, you know, to get back to the Seattle game, it, it really was, it was kind of a credit to a team kind of coming, you know, having a plan, sticking to it, winning the individual battles, picking their spots on the break. And, and you know, there's a reason why Seattle's going to its third MLS Cup in four years and they have experienced players. And Well, you guys will get them in the second leg, right? <laughs> Just
0: kidding. Still no complaints about the format. The format was awesome. Shocker, speaking of the El Trafico from last week. Seems like it's Latin and Ibrahimovic's last game. Uh, definitely is right. Uh, you wrote yeah. about him. You profiled him for the Ringer. Great story. You guys Thank should you. go read. Uh, what's Latin's legacy? I guess leaving MLS is either, uh, you know, um, of course he's going to call himself the greatest player to ever grace the pitch. But
3: yeah, I mean, I so when I wrote that piece and talked to him, um, one thing that I was always really curious by when I when I went into it was that. MLS has always seemed like a place where people come to retire. And LA Galaxy specifically was the team that helped propagate that kind of stereotype with, mm-hmm. you know, Beckham and whoever else. Gerard. Yeah, Gerard, um, the Ashley Cole, um, Robbie Keane. Yeah. But they, <laughs> at the, the entire time, he, when talking to him, kept stressing this idea that um, he he wasn't ruling out a move back. He he acknowledged his age and acknowledged his injury but said he was stronger than ever. And the last thing he said before we left was, and I quote, uh, it's the last line from my piece, I'm here for the moment so all of you should enjoy while I'm here. Which is just a very, you know, lots on kind say. of thing to say. Yeah. But at the same time, I, he, what, was one of the top goal scorers over his two seasons there. I'd, even in fewer games than Vela did, had almost as many goals in both seasons. He showed his class coming off of a really devastating injury uh, in England. Uh, Going back to La Liga, you know, he didn't love his stint at Barcelona there, but has proven his worth at literally every club he's been at. He's won hardware everywhere. Um, Do I think he's, you know, going to go to Europe? Not in MLS, though. Not in MLS, but uh, do, do I think he's going to, like, go back to La Liga and put up, you know, the gaudy kind of goal totals he has his entire career? No, but I think he's still talented enough and, has, his benefit has always been his size and his intelligence. Even in MLS, he very often, especially at the game that I covered, would vanish for large chunks of the game and almost be invisible, you know, slogging around the pitch and then wake up for 60 seconds, remember that he's the most talented person in the stadium at anything and just take over. And I still think that with his size and his kind of positioning uh, and intelligence, can still pick up a handful of goals in in a top European league just by nature of being in the right place at the right time. Miroslav Klose did it for two decades. Why can't he? Yeah,
0: yeah there's no confirmation yet on actually where he's going to play next season. He did say in an Instagram video that he's coming to Spain, but uh, he didn't say La Liga and he didn't name a team. So I guess we'll have to stay tuned to that. So tonight's MLS other conference semifinal, second seeded Atlanta hosting fourth seeded Toronto. Do you guys have any... Thing to say about that predictions?
3: I'm a big fan of when Atlanta does well because I really feel for the Falcons and Hawks and, you know, erstwhile Thrashers fans who have lived in that <laughs> city. Georgia Bulldogs. I don't know. Are like there Georgia Tech football and basketball fans? Josh Passner, maybe. And because the
0: Raptors just won,
3: Toronto FC can eat shit. Uh, yeah, no, Drake. Uh, I'm done with Drake
0: on the record. <laughs> so Atlanta, Connor? I, yeah, I take, the, I take the home team. Cool. So, if Atlanta wins tonight, then, of course, they'll be defending their MLS Cup title against Seattle on November 10th. Shakur, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. And, Connor, thank you, as always. Thank you, Donnie. Let's ride. We'll see everybody in two weeks. Peace.